Section 22 of Fancies versus Fads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. Fancies versus Fads by G.K. Chesterton. How Mad Laws Are Made. Any one of the strange laws we suffer is a compromise between a fad and a vested interest the fashionable way of effecting a social reform is as follows to make the story clearer and worthier of its wild and pointless process i will call the two chief agents in it the march hare and the hatter the hatter is mad in a quiet way but he is merely mad on making hats or rather on making money he has a huge and prosperous emporium which advertises all possible hats to fit all possible heads but he certainly nourishes in occult conviction that it is really the duty of the heads to fit the hats this is his mild madness in other respects he is a stodgy and rather stupid millionaire now the man whom we will call the march hare is at first sight the flat contrary of this he is a wild intellectual and the leader of the hatless brigade it does not much matter why there is this quarrel between the hair and the hat it may be any progressive sophistry perhaps it is because he is a march hare and finds it hard to keep his hat on in a march wind perhaps it is because his ears are too long to allow him to wear a hat or perhaps he hopes that every emancipated member of the hatless brigade will eventually evolve ears as long as a hare's or a donkey's the point is that any one would fancy that the hare and the hatter would collide as a matter of fact they cooperate in other words every reform to-day is a treaty between the two most influential modern figures the great capitalist and the small fattest they are the father and mother of a new law and therefore it is so much of a mongrel as to be a monster what happens is something like this the line of least resistance is found between the two by a more subtle analysis of their real respective aims the intuitive eye of friendship detects a fine shade in the feelings of the hatter the desire of his heart when delicately apprehended is not necessarily that people should wear his hats but rather that they should buy them on the other hand even his fanatically consistent colleague has no particular objection to a human being purchasing a hat so long as he does not wreck his health, blast his prospects, and generally blow his brains out by the one suicidal act of putting it on. Between them, they construct a law called the Habitual Hat Pegs Act, which lays it down that every householder shall have not less than 23 hat pegs, and that, lest these should accumulate unwholesome dust, each must be covered by a hat in uninterrupted occupation. Or the thing might be managed some other way as by arranging that a great modern nobleman should wear an accumulation of hats one on top of the other in pleasing memory of what has often been the itinerant occupation of his youth broadly it would be enacted that hats might be used in various ways to take rabbits out of as in the case of conjurers or put pennies into as in the case of beggars or smash on the heads of scarecrows or stick on the tops of poles if only it were guaranteed that as many citizens as possible should be forced to go bareheaded thus the two most powerful elements in the governing class are satisfied 
of which the first is finance and the second fidgets the capitalist has made money and he only wanted to make money the social reformer has done something and he only wanted something to do now every one of the recent tricks about temperance and economy has been literally of this type i have chosen the names from a nonsense story merely for algebraic lucidity and universality what has really happened in our own shops and streets is every bit as nonsensical but quite recent events have confirmed this analysis with an accuracy which even the unconverted can hardly regard as a coincidence i have already traced the truth in the case of the liquor traffic but many public-spirited persons of the prohibitionist school have found it very difficult to believe all temperance legislation is a compromise between a liquor merchant who wants to get rid of his liquor and a teetotaler who does not want his neighbors to get it but as the capitalist is much stronger than the crank the compromise is lopsided as such the neighbors do get it but always in the wrong way but again since the crank has not a true creed but only an intellectual itch he cares much more to be up and doing than to understand what he has done as i said above he only wants to do something he has increased drunkenness anyhow all such reforms are upon the plan of my parable sometimes it is decreed that drink shall only be sold in large quantities suitable to large incomes that is exactly like allowing one nobleman to wear twenty hats sometimes it is proposed that the state should take over the liquor traffic we hardly need to be told what that means when it is the plutocratic state it means quite simply this the policeman goes to the hatter and buys his whole stock of hats at a hundred pounds apiece and then parades the street handing out hats to those who may take his fancy and by blows of the truncheon forcing every man jack of the rest of them to pay a hundred pounds for a hat he does not get merely to divert the rivers of ale or gin from private power to public power or from poor men to rich men or from good taverns to bad taverns is the sort of effort with which the faddists are satisfied and the liquor lords much more than satisfied there was a curious case of the same thing in the attempt to economize food during the great war the reformers did not wish really to economize food the great food profiteers would not let them the fussy person wants to force or forbid something under the conditions defining all such effort it must be something that will interfere with the citizen and will not interfere with the profiteer given such a problem we might almost predict for instance that he will propose the limitation of the number of courses at a restaurant it will not save the beef it is not meant to save the beef but to save the beef merchant there will actually be more food bought if the cook is not allowed to turn the scraps into kickshaws but why should a plutocracy including food profiteers object to more food being bought why for that matter should the pure-minded social idealist object to more food being bought as long as it is the wrong food that is sold his quite disinterested aim is not that food should be restricted but merely that freedom should be restricted when once he is assured that a sufficient number of thoughtless persons are really getting what they don't want he says he is building jerusalem in england's green and pleasant land and so he is if the expression signifies handing over england to the wealthier jews now the only way in which this conclusive explanation can be countered 
is by ridiculing as impossible the notion that so fantastic a compact can be clearly and coolly made the two attitudes are not logically interlocked like the antlers of stags they simply squeeze each other out of shape as in a wrestle of two rival jellyfish we should be far safer if they had the intellectual honesty of a bargain or a bribe as it is they have an almost creepy quality which justifies the comparison to shapeless beasts of the sea i defy any rational man to deny that he has noticed something moonstruck and misshapen as apart from anything unjust or uncomfortable about the little laws which have lately been tripping him up laws which may tell him at any minute that he must not purchase turpentine before a certain tick of the clock or that if he buys a pound of tea he must also buy a pennyworth of tin tacks the strictly correct word for such things is half-witted and they are half-witted because each of the two incongruous partners has only half his will they have not for instance the sweeping simplicity of the old sumptuary laws or even the old puritan persecutions but they are also half-witted because even the one mind is not the whole mind it is largely the subconscious mind which dares not trust itself in speech the drink capitalist dares not actually say to the teetotaler let me sell a quart bottle of whiskey to be drunk in a day and then i will let you pester a poor fellow who makes a pot of beer last half an hour that is exactly what happens in essence but it is easy to guess what happens in external form the teetotaler has twenty schemes for cutting off free citizens from the beverage of their fathers and out of these twenty the liquor lord without whose permission nothing can be done selects the one scheme which will not interfere with him and his money it is even more probable that the temperance reformer himself selects by an instinct for what he would call practical politics the one scheme which the liquor lord is likely to look at and it matters nothing that it is a scheme to witless for wonderland a scheme for abolishing hats while preserving hatters it might be a good thing to give the control of drink to the state if there were a state to give it to but there is not there is nothing but a congested compromise made by the pressure of powerful interests on each other the liquor lords may bargain with the other lords to take their abnormal tribute in a lump sum instead of a lifetime but not one of them will live the poorer the main point is that in passing through that plutocratic machinery even a mad opinion will always emerge in a shape more maniacal than its own and even the silliest fool can only do what the stupidest fool will let him End of section 22